if you would, open with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to continue our series called The Church. Can everyone say The Church? church. We're going to continue on in this series that we started last week. And just to refresh us so we're all on the same page, a few points from last week. You know, we all have some preconceived ideas about what this word means, the church. We, we all come into this place today, and I'm glad that you're here. How many of you are glad to be here this morning? Amen. Yeah. But we all come in with our own thoughts, our own ideas, based on the, the past, possibly past experiences that we've had, based on traditions. Maybe you grew up as a part of a church tradition or, or denomination. Maybe you've even taken some of your cues on the church from the culture and we see that all of us come with a little bit of junk in our proverbial trunk on what it means to be a church what it means to gather as a church what a church is and so that's why last week i i I really drew the line in the sand i really hammered the stake into the ground and i said we must get our ideas on the church not from tradition, not from our past, not from the culture, but from where? The Word. From God's Word. God's Word is where we must go to find out about the church. The Word is our foundation. There is no other foundation for the church other than the Word of God. God has spoken, and we will obey. Amen. I also uh, just reminded you that as we align our lives with the Word of God, that we will not be accepted by the world. The, the more we are aligned with God's Word, the less we will be accepted by the world. Because the world is obeying not God's Word. The word, world is not following God's Son The world is listening and obeying another word. And so the more we obey God's word, the more we will stand out, the more we will be distinct, the the less we will be like the world, and therefore the less we will be accepted by the world. And I also reminded you, and I need to remind you again this morning, that there will be some things in this series that you may find to be offensive, that you might not agree with, but again, we're going to be taking them from the Word. And so when you come to those places, what you have to recognize is, is is this Pastor Matt's pet hobby horse, or is he being faithful to preach and teach the Word of God? And if it's my pet hobby horse and it's not from the Word of God, that doesn't matter. But if it is from the Word of God... We as God's people must humble ourselves and submit to his word. Amen. So that's our little bit of recap from last week. We're going to jump right into Matthew chapter 16 today. Matthew 16, uh, starting in verse 13, is a foundational passage for the church. It is the first time in your Bible that the word, the church, will appear. It is the first time that Jesus uh, teaches on the church. And so this passage, we're going to spend several weeks walking through some of the key ideas from this passage because it is a foundational, fundamental passage for our understanding on this great topic of what is the church. And so Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Why don't we do this this morning? It's a short passage. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word and let's read it out together as a church body today. Matthew chapter 16. It says this, read it together. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts today. We want to hear your voice clearly. Lord, where there are places in our lives, either because of our past experiences or traditions, where our ideas of your church do not line up with your word, I pray that you would graciously correct us, that you would graciously discipline us, that you would graciously, as your children, lead us into the truth so that we might faithfully live out your mission, your calling in this world today as your people, as your church. We thank you for the blessing it is to receive your word today. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We're answering still this question of what is the church. And there's a lot going on here in this passage. But today we're going to focus in on the word from verse 18, simply the word church. This is, as I said, the first time that this English word church appears in your English Bible. And this passage is foundational for our understanding of what this word church means. Now here is the Greek word. I brought it for you today. How many of you can read that? Anybody here can read it? Yeah. Good luck. I brought the uh, English pronunciation. It is the uh, word, the English, you pronounce it in English or it's pronounced, ecclesia. Can you say that? Ecclesia. Well, what is an ecclesia? It is a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place and assembly. Ecclesia. This is what Jesus says that he will build. He will build his gatherings his, his people that have been called out and who are assembling together. Now this word, you need to know that this Greek word was a common word in Jesus' day. And it was, it was most commonly used in the realm of, of government, in the realm of politics, as, as people would be called out from their homes to assemble in a place either for a, a, a governmental uh, uh, decision that had to be made, that had to be declared, or where the people needed to vote in some sort of assembly to make a decision. This was a common word used in Jesus' day, ecclesia. Commonly used, again, in this realm of politics and government. And while this is, in your Bible, this is the first place that you will see the English word church, what you need to know is that this is not the first time the Greek word ekklesia is found in the Bible. You see, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament was written in Greek. Now, about 250 years before Christ, as Greek, the, the Greek language became the, the predominant language of the world, even including the Jewish people... The Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, was translated from Hebrew into Greek. This translation was called the Septuagint. And this was the Bible that the apostles used. The, the, the apostles used this Greek translation of the New Testament called the Septuagint. It was the Bible that they had in their day as they were Greek speakers. And as I said, th this is the first time in your English Bible that the word church will be used but in the Greek Septuagint, the Bible that even Jesus would have had in his day, it is not the first time the word ecclesia is used. So while in our Bible, the English word church, but underneath it, you can trace this word that Jesus used, ecclesia, you can trace it all throughout the Old Testament. 
And so we're going to look at four passages from the Old Testament where this, where this word in the Greek Septuagint, ecclesia, was used. And it will help inform our understanding of what Jesus meant when he said he would build his church. So Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 10, this has to do with Moses. It says, the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. But again, this is the ecclesia, the assembly, the gathering together of God's people that Moses came down from the mountain of God carrying with him the word of God, delivering them to the people of God who had gathered, who had assembled. Deuteronomy 23 verse 1, speaking of who can, can come into this gathering of God's people, who can come into the assembly of the Lord. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 23, the first eight verses lists out a whole group of people that are not permitted to assemble with the people of God. And, and here is just one example of that. No one who is emasculated or has his male organ cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord, the gathering place of God's people, the ecclesia. Deuteronomy 31, 30. Then Moses spoke the, spoke the words of this song until they were finished in the ears of all the assembly, again, the ecclesia of Israel. And here we see that, that there are certain people who are welcomed into the assembly of God's people, and certain people who were excluded. Again, we see here that Moses is bringing a teaching of, of God's word here in the form of song to the people of God assembled there. Later on, in, uh, much later in the story in 2 Chronicles, when Solomon dedicates God's temple, at the dedication of the temple, it says the king turned around and blessed all of the assembly the ecclesia of Israel, while all the assembly of Israel stood. And what we see as we, we study this idea, this concept of God's people coming together, assembling, that in that assembly, God makes his covenant with them. At the foot of Mount Sinai, he makes his covenant, he affirms his covenant with his people as they are gathered together. What we also see throughout the Old Testament is that God's people gathered together. They came from their separate places to one place in order to worship him in the assembly. And the point is this, that as Jesus uses this, this common word that was used even to describe the assembling of God's people in the Old Testament... Jesus is using a word that, that his people, his followers would understand in that day as coming together, gathering together in one place at a specific time. God's people would have known what this word meant, this word ecclesia. And just as we see in the Old Testament that they assembled when they came together, their, their covenant relationship with God was affirmed. His covenant was made with them, and his covenant was affirmed to them. And we do this, we now do this as God's people. When we come together, when we assemble, we affirm our covenant relationship with God. Well, how do we do that? Well, there's two ways that the church does this. The first is through water baptism. Through water baptism, we, we affirm our covenant relationship with God. We, we declare that we are dead to the world and that we are risen with Christ. The other way that we affirm our covenant relationship with God is through taking of communion, through taking of the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. This is a way that we affirm one another in our covenant relationship with the Lord. The second reason that they gathered, they gathered together, they came together to worship God, to sing his praises, to bow on their face before him, to acknowledge him as God, as their creator, 
to worship him. And the third reason that God's people assembled was to hear his word, to hear his law, to hear his covenant, his, his message preached and proclaimed through Moses and through the prophets. And the point is this. Jesus now says that he is building his assembly. That he is now building his gathering. That he is now calling out people to gather in his name. Just as God's people would have gathered throughout the centuries in the Old Testament, God's people continue now to gather as his people as a part of the new covenant. His people, we, we gathered again to confirm our relationship, our covenant with God, to worship him and to hear his word preached. This word church, it has nothing to do, well, excuse me, the word ecclesia has nothing to do with a building and it has everything to do with a gathering. Ecclesia, the gathering, those who have citizens who have been called out of their homes into some public place and assembly. Now, what's interesting, if you trace the etymology, if you trace the origin of the word church, it doesn't find its, its roots in this word, this Greek word, ecclesia. The word church actually descends from uh, an old German word used to describe, listen to this, used to describe the place where God's people would worship. Your word church, our word church, the word church in our English Bible, it traces its roots not to a gathering, but it traces its roots to a building. The place where God's people would gather became to be known as a church, a church building. And so it's no wonder, it's no wonder that there's so much confusion that people often have over what the church is. Because the English word church, the origins of it literally is the building where God's people gather. And so when we hear the word church, we need to understand this. When we as English speakers hear the word church, we hear something very different than what Jesus' followers heard in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus told them, upon this rock I will build my gathering, my assembly. When we hear the word church, we hear something very different. And so there's all this confusion today about what is the church? Is it a place? Is it a building? Many people believe that today. You ask them what a church is, they'll look across the street, they'll say, there is one, there's one right there, I see it. Other people believe the church is some sort of a hierarchy, a system, of re religious system, a hierarchy of, of priests and bishops and cardinals and even the pope. And that's, that's the church. It's some sort of religious system or religious hierarchy. But it's none of those things. The church is none of those things. It's not a building. It's not a hierarchy. A church is the gathering of God's people coming together to worship Jesus, to hear his word, and to confirm their covenant relationship to him. It's the gathering of those who have been called out of the world, assembling in a public place to get about the business of the kingdom of God. And the amazing thing is when we do this, as we've done this morning, when we do this, Jesus promises that his presence will be there in that assembly. Jesus says, two, just, just two chapters later, Matthew chapter 18, two chapters later, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there is my presence, there is my spirit. Now, yes, we 
are, are temples of the Holy Spirit. We carry the Spirit of God everywhere that we go. But Jesus promises that there is a, a special presence of his Spirit there where two or three gather in his name. We're gathered here today as his people called out of the world called out of darkness, called out of, of sin, called out of brokenness, walking, living now as, as his people in the world. Here's another way I can explain it. It's using another analogy. It's the analogy of a sports team. Ladies, don't check out just because I'm talking about sports, okay? Listen, in San Antonio, what's the name of our team? Spurs, all right. We got the Spurs. Now, if you told me uh, uh, the, the Spurs are a people, the Spurs are a people, they're, they're not a practice, they're not a building, they're not a, a game, the Spurs are the people. We would all say, yes, that is correct, right? The, the Spurs are the people. Now, don't ask me who they are today because I don't know who uh, not a single one of them is. I can tell you who some of them were from the glory days. But we would, we would affirm that the Spurs are not the AT&T Center, correct? The Spurs are not the place that they play. The Spurs are not the practice, the, the, what they do, right? The, the practice is not the Spurs. Even them playing the game, the, the game is not the Spurs. The Spurs are the players, the people. But if they never practice, and if they never play games, they're not a team. Do you see how this works? If, the, if the, the, those individuals never come together to practice, never come together to compete in a game, they're not a team. It's the practicing and the playing in a specific place at a specific time that makes those group of individuals into a team. Likewise, it is our gathering are coming out from our homes to this specific place at a specific time on a weekly basis that makes us an ecclesia. It forms and fashions us into a gathering, into a church. If we never participate, if we never come, think about it, if a spur doesn't go to practice, never shows up for the games, is he going to be a spur much longer? No, he's not. We found that out with, unfortunately, number two, Kawhi Leonard, and my heart still breaks over that. The, the, it is the same with the church. If you don't participate in the gathering, if you don't participate in the Lord's table, it won't be long before you're not a part of the gathering anymore. The assembling together it is the gathering. It is just as it is with the sports team. It is the, the practice. It is the playing together in a specific space, in a specific time. That's what forms and fashions, fashions them into a team. Likewise, Jesus said he would build his assembly. And as we come together to worship him, to receive his word, to confirm our covenant relationship to him as king, he fashions us into his church. So we would say, of course, the church is not a building. Of course, the church is, is, is not simply the service that we have together. But it is the coming together that turns us from being individuals and forms and fashions us into being a church. A church. A people that doesn't assemble is not an assembly, right? A people that never gathers is not a gathering. This is the number one key to being a church is that we must assemble. We must gather together. And again, this is the first time that the Lord uses this word. Speaking of building his people. 
William Tyndale was a Bible translator. Listen to how he translated, and he, he translated the first English Bible. This is William Tyndale. The Tyndale Bible is the first translation of the Bible from uh, Greek and Hebrew into English. Now, you will have a hard time recognizing this English as it was from 1526. Nevertheless, look at what William Tyndale, how he translated this passage. And I say ye also, vuntu the yit, I don't even know what a yit is. Thou art a Peter, and upon this rock I will build my congregation. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Why did, he, why did he do that? Well, because William Tyndale, the first translator of the Bible into English, understood the word ecclesia had nothing to do with a physical building and everything to do with a coming together. This building is lifeless when there's nobody here. There's nothing special going on here. There's nothing sacred about this ground. Until the people of God set foot on it. When God's people assemble here, the presence of Christ in this place. And what we do as people who submit to Christ as Lord, He is our King. We come together and we make the invisible kingdom of God, we make it visible. The invisible kingdom of God becomes visible when God's people gather together. Where is the kingdom of God? It is right here in your midst. Here is the kingdom. We come together and we say, Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. We're a part of his gathering. We're a part of his people. We're not a part of the world anymore. We love the people. We're called to minister to them, but, but we're not part of them. We are part of the kingdom of God. Where is the kingdom? It's right here. Look around this room. This is the kingdom of God. We submit to Jesus as Lord. We encourage one another to submit to Jesus as Lord, to follow him, to obey his word. So yes, again, the church is a people but it's a specific group of people who gather at a specific place at a specific time for a specific purpose. Just as a, a sports team stays a sports team even when they're not competing, we stay the church even when we're not gathering. But if we don't gather, it won't be long before we're not a part of the gathering anymore. It's the gathering for worship and the word of God that binds us together as a church. And it makes the invisible kingdom of God visible. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 and 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice here that the key to holding fast, holding tightly to our confession of hope in the Lord and the key to encouraging one another to, to, to move forward in love and good works is what? Continuing to gather together. Now, what was happening here in the book of Hebrews is that th this was written to a, a group of people who were living in Rome and who were suffering great persecution. And so the temptation is, suffering persecution, why don't we just like not come together and identify ourselves as followers of Jesus? We can just like do our own thing and hang out in our own houses and not mark ourselves as people who follow Christ. And hey, we can avoid persecution. The writer of Hebrews says we have to hold fast to our confession of hope without wavering. 
And we do so by gathering together and encouraging one another and stirring each other up to keep following Christ, keep pursuing Christ. Don't give in. Don't give in to the world. Don't throw in the towel. Don't go back on your confession of faith. It's the gathering together that builds us up, that binds us together, and that encourages us to keep pressing forward. And he says, especially all the more as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. That means that the crazier it gets out there, the more dedicated we should be to gathering here. Amen. Amen. And this is the key to holding to our confession. How many times, oh, it breaks my heart, how many times over the years I've seen someone just so on fire for the Lord, so in love with the Lord, so captured by him in worship, so in love with the people of God, become lax in their devotion to gathering with the people of God. And it's not long before the, their, the hope of their confession that they held, that they, that it, they begin to lose their grip on that confession. It's, it's not long as they stop gathering with the people of God that their fire and their passion and their zeal for the Lord and the things of the Lord begins to fade away. It's like when you're out there barbecuing and one of the coals falls out of the pit while the fire may still be raging on the inside, that one coal cools off pretty quick. Listen, if you want to keep your fire burning hot for the Lord, you got to gather with God's people. you got to make it a point and a priority to come together to worship the Lord. If you're feeling your zeal for the Lord wane, the place you must run to is the house of God. Run to the people of God. Amen. Come into his house and worship his name. What am I saying in all of this? I'm saying that to be faithful followers of Jesus, we must place a high priority on gathering together to assembling together as the people of God. To, to faithfully follow Christ, we must place the, the physically coming together and gathering with the people of God, we must make it a high priority in our life. Why? Because Jesus said he would build his ecclesia. He would build his gathering. And a gathering that doesn't gather is no gathering at all. To be a part of the people of God, we must gather with the people of God. So just, I know I'm preaching to the choir here this morning, but let this just solidify this in your heart today. Your commitment to gathering with the people of God. When we come, when we assemble Again, Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. When we assemble, we should come together with the mindset, with the idea, come together, come into this place that we are coming as the people of God to meet with God. Amen. We're coming as his people. I'm coming as his ambassador as, as a representative of the kingdom of God, I'm coming to gather with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm coming to gather as the people of God. Therefore, it makes a difference if I'm there or not. It does make a difference in the assembly. It makes a difference if you're here. Absolutely, it does. And I'm coming to meet with God. God is going to meet us when we gather. God's spirit is going to be here when we assemble. God's presence, the presence of Christ, he promised where two or three are gathered in his name. And we'll unpack that phrase in his name in future weeks. But his presence is here today. That means that we should have a certain mindset when we come and gather as God's people. Amen? 
How many of you, if you're going to go meet the governor or you're going to go meet the president or you're going to go meet your boss, just called into his office, you, you, you have a different mindset. We come here to meet with God. We come here to meet with our Savior and our Lord. Should have a certain mindset. It should have implications on how we gather and, and what we do when we gather and, and the honor and the respect that we have for the gathering because Jesus is the one who has called us together and he is the one who has promised to meet us here. Let me just tell you one of the practical implications of this. You should not be late. You should not be late to meet with God. You should not be late. If the mayor or the governor or the president called me, I would not be late. I, I, would, I would arrange and orchestrate with, I would take great pains to structure my life to make sure that I was there very early. Because I want to make sure that I'm not going to be late to meet with this very important person. We're gathering to meet with God. We just kind of casually stroll in here. Let there be a conviction in your heart. I'm not speaking this to condemn anyone here today. I'm, I'm telling this to build you up. Not to beat you up, but to, to say there's a higher purpose to our gathering than just doing church. We need to assemble with this mindset that we're here to meet with God. And guess what? As we do, he will meet with us. You see, he promises to be there with all who gather in his name. That means under his rule and under his authority. When I casually stroll in at whatever time, I'm not gathering in his name. Do you see? Do you understand? We should take pains. I, I have so much more. Lord, help me, Jesus. Okay. Um, we, we, me, and, me and my... Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So let me lay before you an example that we take in our family. Our, our Saturday nights are are sacred. We don't do a lot on Saturday night. Why? Because we want to be here ready to go on Sunday morning. So, so we're, we're preparing our hearts on Saturday to come and to meet with the Lord. We're, we're asking our children, we're telling our children, hey, do you know what tomorrow is? You remember what tomorrow is? And, and we're retraining ourselves and our children that, that we, this day is not called Sunday. We call this day the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day. Why? Because Sunday's the day Jesus, our Lord, rose from the dead. In Revelation 1.10, the, the beloved, John the Apostle, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. The, calling Sunday the Lord's Day is a biblical thing to do. And it's just one way of training the way that we think about this day. It is dedicated to the Lord. It is His day. And so we start talking with our children Saturday night. All right, tomorrow morning we're going to get up. We're going to go worship with God's people. We're going to hear his word. We're going to fellowship. We're going to praise the Lord. Have you picked out your clothes yet? Let's, let's pick out our clothes and so that when we get up, we're ready to go. We're ready to assemble. We're training them that, hey, Sunday morning, the morning of the Lord's Day, is a high priority in our lives. If we truly believe we're gathering here to meet with God, it should affect the way that we gather. It should impact some of our thinking about what we're doing here even right in this moment. Now, I know that over the last year, it's been an interesting year, an interesting year for the world, an interesting year for the church. For the last year, there's sort of been this kind of hybrid situation of people who gather in person and people who watch online. And let, let me just say some, some things about gathering online. And I'm, I'm thankful that we have the technology to be able to broadcast our services. I'm thankful for whoever is listening right now who's not here in, as a part of this gathering. 
But we must recognize that gathering or watching online is not the same as gathering here in this place. It's not the same. Having a video chat with my wife while I'm out of town is not the same as when my plane touches the ground and I come home. It's better in person. Amen? Amen? There, there is a connection that happens in, the, in, in person that doesn't happen through technology. Now, am I thankful for the technology that I can use and talk to my wife while I'm out of town? Absolutely. But let me tell you what doesn't happen. When I get back in town, I don't go into the, the, the closet and FaceTime my wife. Oh, it's so great to be home. Or when I get back in town, I don't go to somebody else's house and FaceTime my wife. I go to my house and gather with my family, with my people. So while I'm thankful for the technology, we must acknowledge that it has some major shortcomings. I, let me list some of them for you. Uh, uh, watching online uh, doesn't have the fellowship that we share together. I don't have time to go into all these verses. Take some notes. Write them down. Uh, read them in your devotion time this week. Gather, uh, watching online doesn't produce the community that we have together. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 through 27. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Listen, just watching online, where is the rejoicing when others rejoice? Where is the suffering when others suffer? Where is the entering into the ministry with one another? It, it lacks that sense of community. And so if, if gathering produces that at a greater level, what does not gathering produce? What is simply watching the stream online? It's isolation. It's separation. Watching online doesn't hold with it the accountability that we have as members of one another. I'm thankful that you can watch online. But when you watch online, I, I can't see your face. I don't know if you're online or not. But when you're not here, I see that. And others see that. And we say, hey, where is so-and-so? That there's an accountability that we have to one another. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron. So one, uh, one man sharpens another. My grandma, Ruth Bell, she was really big on this one, the corporate anointing. Right? And that's, again, that's, that's that Jesus comes and that he meets with us in this place. Amen? I remember one Christmas morning. She preached a sermon to us at breakfast. She had four C's to this four-point Christmas breakfast sermon. One of them was corporate anointing. So when you just watch the service online, you, you don't get what we get here. Amen? How many of you remember the first time we began to regather after we missed 10 weeks, 11 weeks of church? People came in and you were just weeping. The, the spirit was just moving. Why? Be, because you, you hadn't sensed God's presence in that way for so long. This corporate anointing that Jesus is here. It lacks the unity that we share with one another. There's unity that is produced as we gather together. It lacks personal ministry. Personal ministry. After service today, we're, we're going to have our prayer teams up here again. Amen. If you need prayer for anything today, our, team, our prayer teams are here to pray with you personally. We don't get that when we watch the streams online. And also, personal ministry is not just receiving, it's also giving. When you come into the house of God, you, you can be used by God to minister to the body of Christ. So just because you're not one of the prayer teams up here, it doesn't mean that you can't pray for one another, speak a word of encouragement to someone else, build each other up. It's a two-way street, personal ministry. 
And your faith will grow as you use it and exercise it. Another major shortcoming that gathering online produces, it, it lacks. There's a certain amount of training for your children that is missing simply watching the stream at home. And I know this from firsthand experience from the 15 days to slow the spread shutdown that the, the Putting the stream on the TV did not engage my children in any way, shape, or form. But it's not just the training that they receive up in the children's ministry, and I'm, I'm very thankful for Richard and Rebecca who are leading that and doing a phenomenal job in that, but it's what I was talking about earlier, training them with the importance of gathering as God's people. Do, do you understand? Not just the training they receive up there, but the way it shapes their whole life by you saying, we will be in the house of the Lord on Sunday. We gather as God's people. That is what we do. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but train them up, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. These are some things that just simply watching the stream online lacks. Now, I'm not saying there's not good reasons for staying home. I think there are good reasons for staying home from time to time. If you're sick, I think that's a good reason to stay home, okay? If you've tested positive for COVID-19, stay home, okay? Can the assembled church agree that that's a good reason to stay home? Amen. If you're sick. If you have some other physical disability that limits you on that Sunday for some reason, sick, not well, that's a good reason to not be here. If you're caring for someone who's sick, that's a good reason to stay home. Last wife, last wife, last week, Heather, my wife, wasn't here. We had some children that were sick, and she stayed home to care for them. That's acceptable. Amen? It's a good reason for not being here. I think that if you're in a very high risk for suffering complications from COVID, I think that's an acceptable reason for not gathering. If you are an, an, you know, extremely advanced in age, have underlying health issues, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that's an acceptable reason for not gathering right now. But as that risk diminishes... As you've had your vaccine, that risk begins to diminish and go away. And then it is time for you to regather with the people of God. People of God said, amen. Another good reason for not assembling on any given Sunday is you might be out of town. You'd be in, maybe you're on vacation. I think vacations are great. Obviously, if you're not in San Antonio, you can't be here. So that's a... That's a reason, an acceptable reason for not gathering. Now, there's also some not-so-good reasons for staying home. I'm going to give you some of those right now. Remember I said there'd be some offensive things? This is that part. Here's a not-so-good reason. I just don't feel like it today. I just don't feel like it. I'm kind of tired. I had, a tough, I had a tough week. Nah, that's not a good reason. I'm depressed. Listen, if you're tired, depressed, the one place you need to be is gathering with the people of God. Psalm 16, 11 says, in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. And pleasures at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Listen, if you're tired, if you're depressed, if you're beaten down, where do you need to go? You need to be here. Come and meet with God. Here's another not so good reason for staying home. Well, I just enjoy watching the service in bed, drinking my coffee. Yeah, no joke. But it's not about you. It's about a devotion 
to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And if I'm not there, it, it matters to this assembly. It matters to this gathering if I'm not there. And so it's not about me being comfortable and me just enjoying my coffee at home and my PJs. Don't even roll out of bed, just flip on the tube. Listen, I, I don't think that's an acceptable reason. Here's another one that I've heard many times over, and this is going to be offensive to some of you, and God bless you, I love you. Well, it's my birthday. Hey, I missed you on Sunday. Where were you? Oh, it was my birthday. Okay. You should have come to church. We would have told you happy birthday. What greater day to come and meet with the people of God and, and come and praise God and come and worship God. What better day than the day you were born? Amen. What better day than to thank God for another year of life? That was my birthday. It gets worse. Oh, it was my kid's birthday. What are you telling your kid? Oh, it's your birthday, so we're not going to church today. Your, your cake and ice cream is more important than worshiping our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Well, it was my mom's second cousin's aunt's Tia's birthday. I don't think those are good reasons. Here's another one. Oh, I had family visiting from out of town. I had family visiting from out of town. Let me, let me be your pastor for a minute. When your family comes in from out of town and you forsake your church family for that family, you're telling them that they are more important than you coming and worshiping God. You're saying that, that they are more important than your relationship with God, worshiping God, being a part of his kingdom and his family. When you, when you don't come to church because you have town, family in from out of town, you're undermining your gospel witness to that family. To the unbelieving family. You're actually undermining your witness to them. Because you're saying that what we're doing right here, it's really not that important. And if what we're doing right here really isn't that important, then your salvation isn't that important. And Jesus, your Savior, is not that important to you. That's what you're saying to them. Again, I say this to you in love. Why? Well, because I want to see your family come to Christ. I want them to see that you are so devoted to Christ that you would even come to church and bring them to church. Hey, we're going to church tomorrow. Please come with us. Come on with us. Come worship the Lord. Well, I'm blind. Well, we're going and we'll see you for lunch. But please come with us. Please come with us. I want to see your family serve the Lord, don't you? And when we put them before Christ, we undermine our gospel witness to them. And finally, and with all the love in my heart, I'm not even going to preach this point. I'm just going to share it with you. I don't think that your children playing sports on Sunday is a good reason to not gather with the people of God. I believe it undermines your training them up in the ways of God when you tell them that baseball or football or any other ball or any other puck or whatever we might throw around or bat around, that that is more important than gathering with the people of God. It, it is not building a solid foundation for your children in the house of the Lord. Well, if I don't do that, then my kid won't get this scholarship and he won't be able to go to this school and my kid's going to be the next LeBron James and he's my gravy train and he's my retirement plan. And Listen, let me, let me tell you, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
We will not serve the God of baseball. We will not serve the God of basketball. We serve Jesus Christ, the risen Savior and Lord. That means my kids, amen. If, if that means my kids don't get scholarships and they don't get into this college or that college, listen, the only thing as a parent, the only thing that matters to me, well, what matters most to me above all else is that my children serve the Lord. That's what matters most to me. I don't care if they make a million dollars a year. I don't care if they're the richest person in the world. If they don't serve Jesus, I can't even imagine it. I would rather them be dirt poor as a missionary with not two pennies to scrap together than them have all the money in the world and not serve Christ. See, yeah, maybe they won't get the baseball scholarship. Yeah, maybe they won't get into this school or that school. Maybe they won't have the free ride. But I'm going to do everything I can to reinforce in their life the importance of gathering with God's people for worship, to hear his word, and to confirm his covenant with them. Again, I don't preach that point because I know that many of you, you've maybe never even heard this idea before. And I would just say, consider what I'm saying. Consider these thoughts. I'm not trying to condemn anyone. I'm not pointing the finger at anyone. But consider it. Are you actually undermining your child's devotion to the Lord by not putting their feet on a firm foundation, by taking the assembling of God's people and not making it a high priority in your family? Something to consider. So, an ecclesia, an ecclesia, it is a people, it is not a building or a place. The people are the people, but to be an ecclesia, the people have to gather in a place. The people must gather. And it's time for God's people to gather. It's time for God's people to gather. It's time for God's people to gather. Last year, we suspended gathering for 11 weeks. We, as the elders of the church, did the best that we could with the information that we had. But had we known today what we, or how we, had we known then what we knew today, we would not have missed a Sunday. They told us, they told us that, amen. They told us that three million people were going to die and that we had 15 days to fix this thing. We did what we thought was best with that information. 15 days has turned into now 370, 80 something days. All right. When, when we saw that what we were being told wasn't actually playing out, we said, we must regather the people of God. That is what we have done. That is what we're going to continue to do. And Destiny Church's doors are staying open. And amen. And even if it is two or three, like it was on the day of the great ice apocalypse. But listen, I, I think that you know, when, the, when you can't get here, is that a good reason not to be here? Yes, it is. But I could get here, and so I came. And some of you who live in the neighborhood, we, we came. Why? Because it's the Lord's day. And it was two or three, but the Lord was also here in our midst. Amen. So if we can be here, the doors will be open, and it will be two or three sometimes, and sometimes it'll be two or three hundred. And who knows what the Lord has in store for us, okay? So let us place a high priority on gathering as God's people. Let us carve out that space in our life to make him and worshiping him and being in his presence the highest priority. And let's see what God would do through us, his people, as we have met with him and we go out into the world to be his hands and his feet extended. Amen. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your word. It is so precious to us. Lord, we are your gathering. We are your assembly that you have called out. You have called us out of the world to come together. We have come together in obedience to you. And we come together and we say, Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. You have saved us. You have redeemed us. And you are here in this place. Lord, for some of these pastoral things that I shared, some of these uh, even corrections, Lord, I pray that your spirit would do a work in our hearts and that through your working in our lives, we would submit our lives to your word in an ever-increasing way and that we would make gathering together as your people with you the highest priority in our life. Lord, help us to retrain our thinking that as we come here, we come to meet with you and that you are here to work in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, even in the next few moments as our prayer teams come, I pray that you would hear our prayers, answer our prayers, and that you would, you, your spirit would minister to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.